Chapter One, Part G of Greener Than You Think. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Greener Than You Think by Ward Moore. Chapter One, Part G. Another fire truck rolled up, and there was much kidding back and forth between the two crews. This was clearly no situation in which lives or property were at stake. It was, rather, in line with assisting distraught cats down from tops of telephone poles, or persuading self-immolated children to unlock the bathroom door and let Mommy in. An amusing interval in a tense day. Perhaps those manning the second truck were more naturally ingenious, possibly the original workers sought more diverting labor. At any rate, the futile chopping was abandoned. Instead, several long ladders were hooked together, and the synthesis lowered from the curb to the edge of Dinkman's roof. It seemed remarkably fragile, but it reached, and the watchers murmured approval. No longer beset by novelty, the men took easily to the swaying, sagging bridge. They passed over the baffled grass, the leader carrying another short ladder which he hung from the roof, stabbing its lower rungs down into the matted verdure below. The crossing was made with such insouciance, the wonder was that they hadn't done it at first, instead of wasting time on other expedients. The firemen went down the vertical ladder and forced an entrance into the choked windows. Mrs. Dinkman came out first, helped by two of them. She kept pinching her glasses into place with one hand and pulling her skirt modestly close with the other, activities leaving her very little to grasp the ladder with. The firemen seemed quite accustomed to this sort of irrationality, and paying no heed to the rush of words, inaudible to us on the street, bursting from her, they coaxed her expertly up onto the roof. Here she stood, statuesquely outlined against the bright sky, berating her succorers, until Mr. Dinkman, rounded, bald, and calm, joined her. At first, Mrs. Dinkman refused to try the bridge to the street, but after some urging, which was conveyed to us by the gestures of the firemen, she ventured gingerly on the trembling ladders only to draw back quickly. One of the firemen demonstrated the ease and simplicity of the journey, but it was vain. Mrs. Dinkman was carried across gallantly in traditional movie style, with Mr. Dinkman and the crew following sedately behind. A crime, Mrs. Dinkman was saying when she came within earshot. A crime! Malicious mischief! Ought to be locked up for life! Don't upset yourself, my dear, urged Mr. Dinkman. It's very distressing, but after all it might be worse. Worse? Adam Dinkman, has misfortune completely unhinged your mind? Money thrown in the gutter, imposed on by oily rascals, our house swallowed up by this this unnatural stuff, and the final humiliation of being pulled out of our own home in front of a gawking crowd. She turned around and shouted, Shoo! Shoo! Why don't you go home? And then to Mr. Dinkman again, Worse, indeed. I'd like to know what could be worse. Well, now, began Mr. Dinkman, but I didn't hear the rest, for I was afraid by rascals. Mrs. Dinkman referred, quite unjustly, to me, and I thought the time opportune to remind Goots he hadn't yet completed his assignment. 
Right, he agreed, suddenly assuming the abrupt accents of an improbable Englishman. Oh, very right, old chap. Let's toddle along and see what Fu Manchu has to say for himself. First off, though, I shall have to phone in to Fleet Street. I mean, to W.R. Fine. You can ask him at the same time to authorize you to give me the other thirty. Goots lost his British speech instantly. What other thirty, bum? Why, the balance of the fifty. For an introduction to me- To the maker of the metamorphizer. To compensate me, you know, for my loss of revenue. Wiener, you have all the earmarks of a cast-iron moocher. Let me tell you, sir, such methods are unbecoming. They suggest damn Yankee push and blackmail. Remember reconstruction and white supremacy, sir. If I were hypersensitive to the silly things people say, I should have given up selling long before. I pretended not to hear him. We walked into a drugstore, and he dropped a nickel into a payphone, hunching the receiver between ear and shoulder. Fifty or last word? he asked out of the corner of his mouth. I nodded. Hello? Jenser? Goots. Hiya, beautiful. Syphilis all cleared up? No. Now, baby. Well, if you're going to be formal, give me W.R. He turned to me and leered while he waited. Chief? Goots. Got the Dinkman story. You know, Freak Growth Swallows Hollywood Mansion. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But, Chief, this is what I wanted you for. On the follow-up. I have the fellow who put the stuff on the grass. Yeah. Sure I did, yeah. And the son of a bitch wants to hold us up for another thirty, or else he won't sing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But I can't, Chief. I haven't got a lead. I don't know, Chief. Not much of a one, I guess. Wait a minute. He turned to me. Listen, little man. Mr. Lefacissi. He pronounced it Lefacissi, and he pronounced it with awe. I, too, was properly solemn, for I hadn't realized before to whom he referred when he talked so lightly of W.R. I knew, as what newspaper reader didn't, of William Rufus Lefacissi, the last of the great editors, but I hadn't connected him with the Daily Intelligencer. Mr. Lefacissi will shoot you another sawbuck and no more. What's the deal? Now, the famous editor's reputation was such that you didn't tell him to go to the devil, even through the medium of an agent. It would have been like writing your name on the Lincoln Memorial. It was reluctantly, therefore, that I shook my head. I'm sorry, Mr. Goots, I apologized. I'd certainly like to oblige. He cut me off with a waving hand and turned cheerfully back to the telephone. No soap, chief. Okay. Okay. All right, put the rewrite man on. And for the next ten minutes he went over the events at the Dinkmans, carefully spelling out all names, including the Napoleonic fire chiefs. I began to suspect Goots wasn't so inefficient a reporter as he appeared. The story given in, he hung up and turned to me. Well, so long, little man. Been nice knowing you. But what about meeting the discoverer of the metamorphizer? Oh, that... Well, W.R. thinks we don't need him any more. Not enough in that angle. I suspected he was bluffing. Still, it was possible he wasn't. 
In such a delicate situation there was nothing I could do but bluff in turn. If you are a good salesman, I always say you must have psychology at your fingertips. Very well, Mr. Goots. Perhaps I shall see you again sometime. I was immediately confronted by a Frenchman, affable, volatile, affectionate. Oh, cher ami, do not leave me with the abruptness. You desolate moncour. Alors, return to me the twenty dollars. But Mr. Goots, none of it, bud. He whisked the cards out and showed them to me, the ace of spades ghoulishly visible, its ominousness tempered only by the word bicycle printed across it. Don't hold that on your Uncle Jackson, or I might have the boys take you for a little trip. A block of concrete, tastefully inscribed, A Wiener, ought to make an amusing base for a bird bath, say. Listen, Goots, I was firm. I'm reasonably certain you've been authorized to advance me the other thirty. But I hope we're both sensible people, and I'll be glad to sign a receipt for the full amount if you'll let me have twenty-five. Albert, you're a fine fellow. A prince. On a page from his notebook he wrote, of Jackson Goots, fifty dollars U.S., and I signed it. He handed me another twenty-dollar bill and put his wallet away. Charge the other five to agent's fees, he suggested. Lead us to your Steinmetz. You just can't expect everyone to have the same standards of probity. So, philosophically, I pocketed my loss and gains together. Life is full of ups and downs, and take the bad with the good. Goots was in high spirits after his piece of chicanery, and as we went down the street he practiced quite unsuccessfully, a series of ventriloquial exercises. The appearance of the apartment house drew the comment from him that it was a good thing for their collective blood pressures the Chamber of Commerce and the All-Year Club didn't know such things existed in the heart of Hollywood. It's no better than I live in myself, he added. He whistled at the dismal living room and raised his eyebrows at the kitchen. Before I could mutter an introduction, Miss Frances growled without turning around, "'If you've come about the icebox—' "'Sounds!' exclaimed Goots. "'A female, Linnaeus. Shades of Dorothy Dicks.' "'I don't know who you are, young man, but you're extremely impudent to come tramping into my kitchen, adding nothing to the sum of knowledge but a confirmation of my sex, which would be plain to any mammal. "'If you've—' "'Nine, Fraulein Doctor.' said Goots hastily, about the Kilvinators I know nothing. I represent, Fraulein Doctor, the daily intelligence of Zotung. Miss Francis pierced his turgid explanation with a sharp spate of words in what I took to be German. Goots answered with difficult slowness, but he fumbled and halted before long, and abandoning the Central European became again the Southern gentleman. I quite understand, ma'am, how any delicately reared gentlewoman would resent having her privacy intruded upon by rude agents of the yellow press. But consider, ma'am, we live in a progressive age, and having made a great contribution to science, you can hardly escape the fame rightfully yours. You are a public figure now, and must stand in the light. Would it not be preferable, ma'am, to talk as lady to gentlemen, 
I am related to the tally of pharaohs of Ruffin County on the distaff side, than to be badgered by some heck journalist. Miss Frances squatted ungracefully on her heels and looked up from the flower pot she had been engaged with. I haven't any objection to publicity, heck or otherwise, she said mildly. I am merely impressed again by the invulnerability of newspapers to thousands of important discoveries and inventions, newsworthy contributions to science, as you call them in your bland ignorance of semantics, in contrast to their acute, almost painful sensitivity to any mischance. Goots, unjointing disproportioned length carelessly against the sink to the peril of several jars of specimens, didn't reply. Instead, he fluttered his arms and produced a half-dollar, apparently from Miss Frances's hair, which, after exhibiting, he prudently pocketed. "'Tell me, Dr. Francis. Miss, show me how you did that trick.' "'In a minute, Miss Francis. It's a honey, isn't it? Paid four bits to a funhouse in Utica, New York, for it. Tell me, how did you come to make your great discovery?' "'I was born. I went to school. I read books.' I reached maturity. I looked through a microscope. Yes, prodded Goots. That's all. Lassie, urged Goots, underlining the honey of his voice with a tantalizing glimpse of a rapid-fire snatching of three colored handkerchiefs out of the air. Tis no sensible course, a fellow. Thank girl what the press can do to a recalcitrant lass like yourself. You wouldn't like it if tomorrow's paper branded you, and I quote, an unsexed harpy, a traitor to mankind, a heartless, soulless. Ah, oh, shut up. What do you want to know? First, said Goots briskly, what is this stuff? The metamorphizer? He nodded. You want the chemical formula? Wouldn't do me or my readers the least bit of good, and you wouldn't give it to me if I asked. Why should you? No, enlighten me in English. It is a compound, on the order of colchicine, acting through the somatoplasm of the plant. It is apparently effective only on the family Graminia, producing a constitutional metabolic change. I have no means of knowing as yet whether this change is transmissible through seed to offspring. Hey, wait a minute. Producing a constitutional metabolic change. How do you spell metabolic? Never mind. The proofreaders will catch it. What constitutional change? Are you a botanist, young man? Gooch shook his head. An agristologist? Even an agronomist? Then you can't have the slightest idea what I'm talking about. Maybe not, retorted Gooch, but one of my readers might. Just give me a rough idea. Plants absorb certain minerals in suspension. That is, they absorb some and reject others. The metamorphizer seems to give them the ability to break down even the most stable compound, select what they need, and also fix the inert nitrogen of the air to nourish themselves. Themselves, repeated Goots, writing rapidly. Okay, if I get you, which is doubtful, so far it sounds just like a good new fertilizer. Really? I tried to make myself clear. Now don't get sore, Professor. Just give out on what made the grass go wild. I can only hazard a guess. As I told Weiner, 
if you create a capacity, you engender an appetite. I imagine that patch of Synodon Dactylon just couldn't stop absorbing once it had been inoculated. Aha! Like giving a man a taste for bourbon. If it pleases you to put it that way. Okay. Okay. Now, let's have an idea how this growth can be stopped. Theoretical, you know. As far as I know, said Miss Francis, it cannot be stopped. End of chapter one of Greener Than You Think by Ward Moore.